Hello, everyone. Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Oh no, say it ain't snow. Welcome, I'm Omar Bourne. Last episode, we spoke about my least favorite season of the year, and today we're going to be talking about my least favorite precip. Allison, we're talking about snow. How do you feel about it? Hey, everybody, it's Allison Panisi. I have to agree with you, Omar. My least favorite precip is snow. I'm waiting for the sun showers to come, probably around <laughs> Memorial Day. I'm ready to, cr- actually, I'm ready to crank out our barbecue. What do you think? I am all for it. I'm yeah, all for it. I need to find out. Anybody in the room wants hot dogs, hamburgers? I think we should start grilling. But maybe before we start that, we should grill somebody about snow removal process here in the city. It's a I, big hot topic for New Yorkers. I agree with you. Let's do it. Joining us on the show is Edward Grayson, director of the Bureau for Cleaning and Collection at the New York City Department of Sanitation. He's here to discuss snow removal this winter season. Ed, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Okay, so one of the most talked about operations during the winter is snow removal. And uh, we've heard that sanitation treats snow response as a year-round process, believe it or not. Can you walk our listeners through how the department um, prepares the city for such a snow event and what the plans and procedures look like? Absolutely. Uh, snow removal is absolutely a year-round process at, at DSNY. Uh, we literally begin planning for a winter season immediately following the end of a winter season. So our night plow organization, which is uh, how we refer to winter, begins in November okay. um, and it ends in April. So for that period, what we'll do is we'll shift additional resources to the night shifts on both ends so that we have adequate staffing in place to respond for pop-up stuff that perhaps somebody might have missed on one of the forecasts. This way we have more people working on three shifts Mm -hmm. just in case there's a winter weather and or an icy condition because while we can watch the forecast, we'll never know whether or not uh, there's a water main or something else that could happen. Any other precipitation event that could impact travel, we want to make sure that we have adequate staffing up 24-7. Okay, um, with regard to it being a year-round event, as far as planning, 100%. So, in, at the end of a season, in April, we'll literally wash all the equipment and retrofit anything that needs to get done because uh, all of our equipment takes a beating during the snow. So, we'll uh, make sure all the plows are ready to go. We'll also begin doing supply uh, recalculations and ordering for anything that we need. Make sure we have enough lead time to get all the stuff we need. Do we need more salt? Do we need more uh, plow supplies? Do we need additional equipment? Do we need more tires? The whole nine yards. It really ramps up as far as preseason planning in September because at that point, hopefully, through the interagency collaboration with DOT, we know exactly if there are any traffic pattern changes, construction projects, all the stuff that goes into whether or not how we're going to deploy the assets to make sure that we have maximum ground coverage with the plows and the spreaders that go out. Mm-hmm. So that leads right up until the start of November when we shift all the staffing around, mm-hmm. make sure that all the people are in place. Uh, and in between there, sometime in around October leading up into December, uh, we'll start an extensive training program putting each of the sanitation workers and offices through uh, a series of, of simulations and drills to make sure that they're ready for the winter season. Now, I know you guys issue snow alerts that indicate the potential for winter weather. Uh, when did you guys start putting these messages out to the public? It was the 2010-2011 uh, snow season. Okay. Prior to that, 
it was really an only an internal message, and it's been mm -hmm. around for almost ever. It's been around for my entire career, and even long before that. And basically, that was it was an internal message that then grew to be shared with our our partner agencies in response, like DOT Bridges and you know NYPD, FD, and MTA. It kept growing with who we would share it with. Mm -hmm. um, but mostly, it started as an internal message to let the workforce know we're in a snow alert, so you should start planning for extended tours daycare, childcare, mm -hmm. all the things that happen. Right. You know, and know that that's why we're going to be changing the way we do our staffing dynamic. So it started as an internal message and then in the heightened uh culture of situational awareness for all New Yorkers that stemmed in that 2010-2011 season and thereafter mm -hmm. here in New York season, we just started telling the public and getting everybody involved. So um, the Department of Sanitation also recently changed its snow removal routes, or the names of them, I should say, on Plow NYC, which is a way for New Yorkers to track um, their street designation and also whether a plow has been through their neighborhood. Um, so it went from primary, secondary, and tertiary to critical sector and holster. Do I have that right? Correct. Um, so can you explain what the changes are? Do they affect you know people's um, ability to see like you know that their neighborhoods have been cleaned? No, actually, the change is more reflective of it's finally we're, we've updated the we've made sure that the public the public facing website mm -hmm. where New York City residents can track the progress of the plows with the timestamp of when it was last serviced accurately reflects the new terminology that coincides with our routing change. Okay. So uh, last year for the 2016 2017 season was the first year that we fully implemented the sector methodology on routing. This is uh, a new way to route our pieces and our assets for quicker ground coverage throughout the city. Uh, it's, we've, it's tremendously successful. It adds uh, pieces into the residential streets on a quicker turnaround. Now I know, uh, I wanna say it was after the snowstorm in 2015, um, but I could be a little bit off on timing. But you guys introduced uh, new equipment to get into smaller streets. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, we actually always had, there, so we have two types of small pieces. Right. Uh, there are more of our, our uh, we call them on internally close quarter combat uh, mm -hmm. pieces, just because they're for the tighter areas. So in, in, in theory, we have, we've always had holsters. They are a small salt spreader. Uh, they hold about three yards. They would look, if you were looking at them from the public, they would look like a pickup truck uh, with a dump body bed and a plow on the front of it. Um, and the other small piece that we added in by and large throughout the fleet uh, were skid steers. Mm -hmm. uh, people sometimes call them bobcats, but basically the industry term is a skid steer. Uh, small bucket, they kind of look, they look like what landscapers would use to clear, you know, dirt out of, a, out of an excavation site. Um, and the fact that they have, skid steers can literally turn on the dime. Right. Uh, they can turn around in, inside their own radius. So they have a very good turning radius. Uh, Makes sense. They have a bucket. Uh, which is good for digging out. They also have, we also have plow attachments. We could use them as plows. Holsters are our front line for all those dead end streets oh, and yeah. tight area streets uh, because literally if we can't get down there, the key for us is the heavy fleet needs to be able to drive through because what you don't want is backing up in and out all night. It's very time consuming mm -hmm. uh, to, to be able to back up, uh, especially with a plow on. Mm -hmm. um, so anytime we have dead end streets, or tight streets where the width of the streetway is going to be tight. We're using those holsters. They are front line for that. And what after the Jonas blizzard. Um, Jonas. Yeah, after the Jonas yeah. storm uh, in the 15-16 season, it was, uh, we definitely needed, we, we found that especially in the tighter residential areas, what we needed was to be able to get to those streets faster with that smaller equipment. So we exponentially increased the size of the fleet in that area. It was basically a right sizing of what we needed to do the job. 
So you're talking about tight streets, and all I keep thinking about is New Yorkers who leave their cars on the streets because they have no choice. So my question is about alternate side parking. What goes into that decision? What agencies are responsible for helping make that decision? When does that decision get made? Um, that's, again, forecast-driven. I know it's an annoying thing. Moving your car <laughs> is terrible. Believe me, I grew up in Queens. I had to move the car twice a week. Uh, my father dreaded it every day. You know, it's not how, you know, to, you know, I get it. Believe me, we understand the yeah. impact, specifically in areas where parking's at a premium. It's, it's a game of nuances and, and whatnot, but technically we don't, we don't have the authority to suspend ASP. We ask DOT because right. they have the authority to, mm -hmm. they enforce all the parking, the posted street signage. So what we do is in collaboration, our two commissioners have a conversation that is directly driven off of the forecast and where DSNY thinks will be operationally. Mm -hmm. And then we ask for them, we tell them that we don't think we're going to be able to, we don't think it's a good idea to have the cars move because of the forecast, the weather. Um, and also, let's not forget that we plow to the right in heavy snow. Yes. So if we plowed a lot of snow into the people parked on the right-hand side, and it's going to be one of those events where, again, we're expecting the snowfall to last, and then we don't want people out there in an unsafe thing. So they would have to dig themselves out to be able to move the car to get the plows in there. So it's forecast-driven. Believe it or not, the decision to suspend is usually done uh, to benefit the public because we understand that it's not a good time to have everybody out there driving around and moving their car. Mm -hmm. And then uh, equally as challenging is the, this, and whether or not we'll have favorable temps. Right. Because if we, for us to have alternate side after a heavy snowfall put back into play, that means we're gonna come by and we're gonna start kicking from the, we usually plow right. Yes. And in clearing operations, when we put it back in effect after a heavy snowfall, we plow to oh. the left, to the center line mm. roadway. Oh. Okay. We need temps and sun for that. Because what we're doing is we're scattering the snow out and we're displacing now the hard packed snow over a greater area so that science could take over and it'll start it'll to melt. a better chance to melt right. and give you a clearer roadway. If none of those variables are there, we would not ask people to move. So that's really what goes into it. But it's a collaboration between both commissioners to make an informed decision. Wow. The plowing to the right, can I just say that if my car is parked on the right-hand side and I know it's going to snow, I learned that the hard way one year uh, where my car was packed in on the right-hand side and I had to dig and dig and dig. And then I said, you know what? I realized these guys only plow to the right, so I am going to park my car on the left-hand side every time there's snow. <laughs> the more you know. There you go. Stick around. We have more to come on today's show. But first, here's Bushrub with our prep talk tip. Thanks, Allison. Prolonged exposure to cold can lead to hypothermia, frostbite, and can worsen existing medical conditions such as heart and lung diseases. Hypothermia occurs when the body temperature drops to a dangerously low level. It can lead to death. Frostbite occurs when parts of the body freeze, such as the fingers, toes, ears, nose, and cheeks. It can cause permanent damage. For more information on hypothermia and frostbite, visit nyc.gov health. Thank you, Bushra. Now, when it comes to snow removal, New Yorkers are extremely vocal, and they depend on, on you guys, obviously, for that to happen. But what can New Yorkers do as individuals to help uh, the sanitation department during the snow removal process? Um, the first thing New Yorkers can do uh, is abide by the messaging that's being put out, not just by DSNY, but by uh, emergency management, the mayor's office, news media. There's some really common sense, good messaging that's being going out there, and that would be really helpful if they abided by that, right. such as use mass transit, stay off the roads when told, dress appropriately, um, stay warm, watch for the frostbite, all of that. 
that helps because you wouldn't be, you'd be surprised how many people put themselves in jeopardy mm -hmm. during a snow response because they just haven't abided by some common sense. Now, New York's a town full of hustle and bustle, and a lot of people have a lot of response. They're juggling a lot of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. We know that. But if you just took a few seconds to abide by some of the messaging, uh, as far as what they can do specifically for DSNY or for the community in relationship to DSNY, again, common sense. Uh, number two, don't park all the way to the corner. Mm. because mm -hmm. it's a funny thing parking becomes a tight scramble but if you're the kind of block where there's normally a little bit of leeway from the corner right uh but now it's tight for parking so you're going to get right up on there <laughs> well what's going to happen is you're going to cut down my turn radius yeah so i'm going to get into the block because we're trained drivers but you're going to give me a challenge that i don't need with a plow on it right so if you cannot park all the way to the corner that would be helpful helps us go that much quicker um if you when you're when you're shoveling your snow, if you wouldn't shovel it on to the catch basin, yeah, that would be helpful. Very Matter important. of fact, if you're a corner property or you have a catch basin, you might want to dig that out for yourself because not only are you going to have better drainage on the block, you're going to help your res your your fellow neighbors also have drainage. You don't want to shovel your snow in front of a hydrant because it still might have you may have a fire. And you, would, you certainly don't want to stop the fire department from being able to access the hydrant. So you get some common sense approaches there. Um, when you're shoveling your sidewalk your, your, or your property, don't think of yourself as the able-bodied person who's out there shoveling. Think right. of yourself as the mobility-challenged New York citizen. Think of yourself as of the, of, the, of the elderly who use a cane. You want a wider path. So mm -hmm. while you may be able-bodied and fit, and you're thinking that the 20 inches of my shovel is good enough, it's really not. Think three to four feet in width if you're going to bother to shovel a path because right. you're going to capture a lot of folks that would really appreciate if you mm -hmm. gave them that much clearance while they're walking because this city never sleeps. All we're doing is telling you to stay off the road, but most people still have places to go. That's right. So they're walking and they're taking as money. You know. So you have that. Um, and the other thing to that end, be a good neighbor. Now, I'm nobody's Jiminy Cricket, but be a good neighbor. <laughs> you know, if you know you have elderly on your block, if you know you have um, uh, vulnerable citizens, if you know that you have uh, citizens that have physical impairments or challenges, think of those neighbors and maybe you can help them shovel too. Very, very informative information. Hopefully, uh, this sheds some light on the snow removal process going forward. Is there anything else you'd want the public to know about DSNY's role in snow removal operations? Yes. Um, the same men and women that you see out there every day picking up your uh, refuse and recyclables, I know where you're the going. Street, mm -hmm. They're the same men and women who are in the plow trucks. Right. There's not a unique dynamic workforce. We shift operations from one to the other. Um, these are dedicated, hardworking men and women who go out every day to try to make New York City's life better. Um, our core missions are service, safety, and sustainability. And snow removal is absolutely, while it's the fourth S, it is absolutely at the forefront. Um, and the other thing that you gotta remember that there's eight and a half million or better New Yorkers, depending on how you, who sent this track, you'll, you read or watch at. There's a little over 10,000 people that work for the New York City Department of Sanitation. Mm. From uniform frontline staff, to auto mechanics and, and, and support staff, to the people in technology, to the budget folks, uh, to the administrators, to the planners, to the business analysts, all the way to the clerical staff. And all of them are in a snow alert together to try to make everybody's life better when it snows. Working in collaboration with our partners here in New York City Management 
you know, emergency management and all across the city. We're, we're doing our best. We need some patience because we are all victims of the same meteorological event at the same time. That's true. Right. Most of our workforce goes home after a 14-hour shift and shovels snow again for themselves hmm. because they too are also part of the response. And in snow and in severe weather, we are the first of the first responders and we take that very seriously. Well said. Yep, well New said. York's strongest. I love it. Um, Ed, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you shedding light on you know the snow removal operations, and we're hoping for a very quiet winter weather season. Definitely. But I won't hold my breath. <laughs> I hope so. But thank you for being here, Ed. We appreciate your work. pleasure. I thank you both. All right, that's this uh, edition of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or subscribe to your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared. <laughs>